Well, good morning. My name is Jane Dorman, and I serve on the teaching team here at White Oak Christian Church. And as many of you may know, we have been walking through the book of Luke together, and it has been such a rich experience, whether we're following the reading plan or, or writing in our journals what God's teaching us or even listening to the podcast. You know, the Holy Spirit moves when we intentionally make an appointment with him, even if it's just five minutes a day. These words, these words are found in God's Bible. These are God's collected words for you so that you may know him. If this is your first time really diving deep into the scripture, can I just share something really cool with you? The New Testament where the book of Luke is located is the true story of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The, this book is connected, it is rich, and it is complex. And once you take the time to truly understand the biblical narrative, the story of God comes alive. It is the story of God's love for you and the lengths that he will go to be in relationship with you. Jesus came to fulfill the story of God and Israel, and it's something that we've been nodding to throughout this whole series as we study the book of Luke. But today's reading, I wanted to share with you something that God's been teaching me over the past few weeks. So we're going to take a little deep dive into the Old Testament briefly here. So as many of you know, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. If you didn't realize that, this is your reminder to go get those things for those Easter baskets. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> But the weeks leading up to Easter is actually acknowledged as a season of Lent. And I'm not sure whether you practice Lent or ever have, but this year I got curious because I had personally never practiced it before, and I really honestly wonder why people would, because Lent is a period of 40 days of fasting and penitence. And penitence is like this fancy way of saying that you are intentionally reflecting on and regretting your sinful nature. Who wouldn't want to do that? All right? But as I imperfectly journeyed into this season for the first time, leaning into the spiritual practices of prayer and fasting and generosity, I began to understand this freedom that is found in spiritual disciplines. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but... Through this recognition and this lament of my sinful nature, I was able to recover a renewed vision and taste for the full life God has for us. And overall, I have come to learn this about God. God wants our whole hearts. And we witness this desire throughout the entire biblical narrative. Take the book of Deuteronomy. I love the book of Deuteronomy. It's in the Old Testament, and it is focused on the desert wanderings of the Israelite people. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you don't know the story, the Israelites are God's chosen people, and they were enslaved in Egypt. And God raises up a leader named Moses, who comes, and he is called to lead the people out of Israel through God's power out of Egypt into a promised land. It says that God led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and even though God was with them, Israel still doubted God's goodness. And because of their unbelief in God, they were forced to 
wander the desert for 40 years. And it was during this time that Israel struggled and they wrestled with their narrative and their identity. While Israel was God's chosen people, the culture they were surrounded by and the culture that they grew up in was immersed through the worship of other gods and serving other gods and pagan rituals. Their hearts, their hearts were a mess and they needed pruning. And God used that time in the desert to do that, to remind and renew them of their identity in Christ who hadn't even come yet. They didn't know that Christ was the answer to that. But we learn that later in the New Testament. But the book of Deuteronomy specifically takes place in the time at the end of the 40 years of wandering, and Moses is preparing the people. They are about to enter the promised land. And Moses is reminding them of the law that God gave them. And he's reminding this new generation of Israelites of who they are and what it is God desires for his people. So in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one and through three, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses, their leader, he's preparing the people by reiterating the commandments the Lord gave them and he encourages the Israelites to follow and obey God so that they could have the full life God intended for them. And they're getting this big test review before the final exam. Notice how this passage at the very beginning, it says, now this is the commandment. This implies that whatever Moses is about to announce next, this is the one rule that encompasses all the rules. This is the big daddy, okay? Deuteronomy, verse four and five, check it out. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This, my friends, is the ultimate commandment. The one true desire of God's heart is that we would give him our full, complete love. In the Bible, whenever love is mentioned, it's not this warm, fuzzy feeling that you have towards one another. Love is action. You love someone when you act in loyalty and faithfulness. For Israel to love meant faithful obedience to the terms of their covenant relationship with God. Israel's fate rested on their obedience to this one great commandment. It is important to note that obedience in the Old Testament was not about legalism or finding favor with God. Obedience was about love and listening. These two lines that I just read are so important in Jewish tradition that it became part of a daily practice of prayer in ancient Israel. It's known as the Shema. And it is considered to be the equivalent to what the Lord's Prayer would be for us today. In fact, the Shema was one of the most influential Jewish traditions today that Jesus would have participated in this practice. 
he would have grown up praying the Shema because of the Jewish culture that he grew up in. This is a pivotal piece of biblical history and furthermore reminds me of the pure devotion we are called to as followers of Jesus. And I want this to be the lens in which we go and dive into Luke today in our reading because it's important for us to grasp how transformative God's love is for you. He wants to transform your life so that you can have it to the full, but we have to accept this invitation by wrestling with our identity and with the things that distract us and threaten that identity, just like Israel did in the desert. So here is our big idea for today. Follow Jesus with your whole heart. We see this connection in today's passage, and if you have your Bibles and you're following along, it's Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, I would highly encourage you to get one. We have them back at the Hub. Please stop by. We want to equip you with this important piece of your spiritual practice of reading your Bible. But Luke chapter 18, there is a story in the book of Luke about this rich young man who comes up to Jesus. And he approaches him while Jesus is teaching, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we're going to pick up the story in verse 19, Luke chapter 18, verse 19. And Jesus said to him, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I want to pause here because Jesus right now is setting up this conversation to make a distinction of who he is. In that culture, it was understood that the only good thing and the only thing inherently good is God and God alone. So for Jesus to make this, this pronouncement about himself, it was kind of a big deal. And Jesus is about to drop some pretty hard truth in this moment. And he wants to make sure that everyone listening understood that he had full authority because he is fully God. Let's keep going. Verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, he being the rich young ruler, all these I have kept from my youth. Now Jesus here begins to strategically list five of the 10 commandments from the law that God gave Moses to the Israelites. Let's take a look at the ones that he lists here. He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, honor your father and mother. Why? The commandments that Jesus listed here, they're pretty straightforward in their practical application in our lives because they have to do with man's relationship with man. Most of us would look at this list here and we would be feeling pretty good about ourselves because we are, these are all things that we shouldn't do and we're doing good things. The, obeying the law here seems pretty easy, barely an inconvenience. And surveying this list allows the rich young ruler here to feel pretty good about himself because of his good living since he states that he has these things under control. But remember, obedience to the law is not about legalism or earning God's favor. It's about love. And herein lies the problem. 
we are following Jesus half-heartedly. Because you see, the commandments that Jesus listed was only half of the list. Following Jesus is not just about all the good things that we do. We're missing the most important piece of the puzzle because we can't love others well unless we do what Jesus commands the rich young ruler to do in verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Uh Uh-oh, Jesus touched a nerve. Jesus exposed something deeply rooted in this man's heart. When Jesus challenges the rich young ruler to sell all that he owns and to come follow him, Jesus was making a connection to the first commandment. You shall not have any other God before me. The rich young ruler proves to be a half-hearted follower. Here Jesus is standing before him, inviting this young man to love the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. And what does he do? He walks away sad because he wasn't willing to surrender his wealth and obedience to Jesus. The world had a hold on his heart. And this morning, I want to ask you, what is keeping you from following Jesus with your whole heart? Because you see, we are not sinners because we do wrong things. No, we are sinners because at the heart of it, We are idolaters. We are bombarded by messages from our culture every single day of things that can make us happy. We have these these handheld computers in our back pocket filled with algorithms, algorithms tailored to tell you what you like, what you need, what you need to fulfill your life. It is way too convenient anymore to become distracted. Our hearts, they're idol-making factories. We are constantly filling our lives with with good things. I mean, you know, whether it's your career or your kids or your spouse or your friends or your finances or your family or the latest style trend or entertainment, you name it. And hear me when I say these things are not bad. That's not what I'm saying here this morning. What I am saying is that we have this tendency to take things that God gives us, good things, whether it's a blessing or a gift, and we receive that gift. And then somewhere along the way, we take that gift and we attach ourselves to it and we make it our own. And it no longer becomes this blessing from God, but it's like our own and we hoard it to ourselves and we hang on to it. Idolatry takes numerous forms. This morning we witnessed the confession of two people about to get baptized and I am so excited to witness that later in the service. Last month, our family actually had the opportunity to witness and celebrate the baptism of our oldest child. 
and it was such a wonderful morning to experience. But I got to tell you, in the years leading up to this moment, we have been walking with Lewis, Brian and I, and we would have wonderful conversations. He would ask really hard, really good questions, and we would have great conversation. And at the end of the conversation, we would ask, are you ready? Are you ready to follow Jesus and be baptized? And when he wasn't ready, his response usually was this, well, I don't think I'm ready yet because following Jesus just feels like a really big deal and uh, it's something that lasts your whole life and right now I just want to play video games. Out of the mouths of babes. Um, But we feel that, don't we? What would you rather be doing with your life than following Jesus with your whole heart? Because that is the root of it. We may think like this rich young ruler that we are doing well in our walk with Jesus because of all the things that we do right or God's blessing my life with all these good things, but at the same time, we're allowing ourselves to disorderly love broken things in a way that can't sustain us. Jobs come and go. I mean, kids, they're going to grow up and they're going to leave. Clothing, it tears and it wears up. TV shows, they end sometimes too abruptly. But we're constantly seeking fulfillment from one vice to the next, ignoring the one thing that could only fulfill our heart's desire, and that is God. This is the problem that we face as humans. That's why our challenge, our big idea today is to follow Jesus with your whole heart. That's the only way we're going to get to this place of experiencing full life that God has for us, following him wholeheartedly. But how do we do this? What does this mean? Verse 26 in Luke 18, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and we followed you. And and he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. I think Jesus is pretty clear that becoming a follower of Jesus means a daily death and denial to ourselves. When Jesus invites us to follow him with our whole heart, he means we need to be willing to surrender every single thing we have. Our relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship we have, and nothing should come between that. Not your house or your spouse or your kids or your career or anything. And while this is an invitation that leads us to full life eternally, it's also an invitation to surrender our lives and live it to the full now. He wants our full devotion. Jesus wants our full attention. He wants our whole heart through obedience. And loving God with your whole heart begins with releasing that which we allow to take precedence in our life and surrendering our lives under his full authority as king of our life. And Jesus knows that loving him in our own strength 
is an impossible task for us to do on our own, in our own power. We are easily susceptible by the enticing ideologies and theologies and technologies and any shiny, sparkly thing that comes our way. The season of Lent, okay, it begins with Ash Wednesday. A sobering day because it's a day that we set aside to remember our mortality as humans. Traditionally, ashes are sprinkled over your head or marked on your forehead in the sign of a cross, and these words are spoken over you. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you will return. That's pretty uncomfortable to think about. In fact, ashes, they're like these things of the earth. It's stuff of the earth, and it's pretty useless except for two things. One, ashes remind us of our beginning and our ending. Simply existing in this thought alone on our own is a bleak and soul-crushing thought as we consider the brevity of life. I love how author Tish Oxenreiter puts it, to believe that life as we know it ends when our earthly body expires is to reckon with the fact that any moment the purpose of our existence could extinguish faster than a thumb and forefinger to a candle wick. However, if we believe that our bodies are the, is this temple in which Jesus dwells through the activation of the Holy Spirit, then life right now must matter. Yet notice how this implies a partnership. It's not on our own strength. We are but dust and useless on our own account. But if we accept the invitation of following Jesus with our whole heart, there is hope that you exist at this particular moment in this particular place on earth for a reason. Secondly, ashes remind us of growth. Did you know that gardeners will actually use ashes to add nutrients to the soil to produce a more fruitful, nutritious harvest. Ashes smudged on our foreheads speak of our own future harvest when we choose to abide in Christ like fruit on a well-pruned vine. God, our great gardener, turns our ashes into fertilizer that will yield fruit beyond we can possibly think or imagine if we would just release the things that we are attaching ourselves to in this life and turn back and attach to God. In this, we must trust in this hope. Today is Palm Sunday, a day where we recognize the beginning of Holy Week, in Jesus' last week on earth, and it kicks off with this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. People were lining the streets, laying down their clothes, waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And scripture says that as Jesus rode through Jerusalem, he wept. He saw right through their praise. Because these same people who were shouting their devotion and their praise to the king were the same people who on Friday spat in his face, 
whipped deep lines into his flesh and nailed his hands and feet to a cross on Friday. We are a fickle people on our own account. Jesus knew the condition of our hearts and he saw right through their praise and their good living to the places where they rooted their identity. It surely wasn't rooted in him. And yet Jesus still offers his unconditional love for them, just like he offers unconditional love and grace for us today. Jesus made the first move. It says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Our idolatrous hearts keep us from loving God with our whole hearts. It's been proven over and over again. It's proven today in our everyday lives. It was proven in the Old Testament with the Israelites and through that whole biblical narrative. We are not able to live up to the standard of holiness that God requires for us to be in relationship with him. It's sin that separates us. And while God wants us to choose this path of life and have it to the full, we continually get distracted and we go off course and we end up skipping down this other path that ultimately leads to death and separation. Thank God for Jesus, our sacrificial lamb our one true example of original design because Jesus, he walked among us. He experienced life with us. He wrestled with his human nature. He communed with God though, regularly working and rooting himself in his identity into the one who called him and obeyed that calling he was born to fulfill. While the week ahead is solemn, it is important for us to remember that because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have the hope of the new covenant. We are healed through his wounds and made right with God so that we could have an intimate relationship with him. So as we walk into this week, starting today, Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter Sunday, as followers of Jesus, we know that we have hope. Hope that sees our hearts, hope that purifies and restores, hope that prepares, hope that proclaims truth, hope that washes feet in service, hope that prays in submission, hope that desires the fulfillment of scripture, hope that paid the ultimate penalty for our sins. Jesus is that hope, the hope that finished the work on the cross so that we could be forgiven and be in relationship with God if we believe in Jesus and surrender our lives and our whole hearts to him. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, we have hope, not only for eternal life after death, but full life now, if we allow him to prune our hearts as we attach ourselves to his divine love. So as we enter into Holy Week and reflect on Jesus' sacrifice, I want to invite you to seek and to understand the poverty of your sin. It's never too late to practice Lent. This goes for everyone in this room, whether you've never taken that step toward Jesus or you've been following Jesus for a while. I want you to ask yourself, what is it that's getting in the way of following Jesus with your whole heart? Seek to understand the places in life where you may be trusting yourself more than you do Jesus. Then repent 
surrender to his kingship and then praise him for his forgiveness and remember his great love for you. Meditate on the words of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Let's accept the invitation and learn what it means to root our identities to the heart of the one who created us, an identity rooted and aligned with the heart of God so that we can learn how to follow Jesus with our whole heart. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. You are king, you are Lord, and we know you see us where we're at. God, we know that we cannot do this life on our own account, and I ask that you would humble us this week to seek you first, to lay aside the things that distract us, and to pursue you wholeheartedly as we remember your great sacrifice. We thank you for your forgiveness. And we thank you for your love and for never, ever giving up on us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.